Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. The FNF Coaches Podcast is just a part of the FNF Coaches platform. Visit fnfcoaches.com to see all of our content offerings from daily features, videos, and our more recent digital editions. Subscribe to the Print Magazine by clicking on the subscribe tab at the top of the page. It's the perfect gift for other members of your coaching staff uh, with the holidays approaching. Also, subscribe to the FNF Coaches Podcast on your preferred platform. We're on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. Scottsdale Saguaro head coach Jason Mons led his team to six consecutive state championships from 2013 to 2018. Saguaro is 20, or excuse me, 98 and 12 since Mons took over the program in 2012. His overall record, counting two years leading Salt River in Arizona, is 106 and 20. Good afternoon, coach. Welcome to the pod. Good afternoon, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Now, I know uh, I, I was just reading up on your season, and um, I read that uh, your season kind of came to an abrupt end and deep in the playoffs due to a cancellation as a result of positive COVID tests. What happened there? Well, it was a uh, it was a trying season um, for us. Uh, we obviously, just like everybody else in the country, faced a lot of uncertainty going into the year and um, finally kicked off a shortened season, um, uh, eight-game regular season. Four of the uh, four of the eight teams on our schedule uh, during the regular season uh, suffered uh, quarantine situations and and left us scrambling. We were able to make up two of those games, um, one on 24 hours notice against a completely different opponent, um, and so we ended up with a six game regular season, um, still enough to uh, qualify for the uh, the open division state playoffs in Arizona. That's the top eight teams, regardless of division that you play in and uh we had qualified as the third seed um last year we had uh we were going for our seventh state championship in a row we, we we fell just short we lost by a touchdown in the open division state championship to uh to chandler high and so we were looking at making a run back and and trying to avenge that loss but uh thanksgiving morning the day before the uh, quarterfinal game um got word that we had had a third positive covid case and um based on our uh, protocols um that we're playing by if you have if you had three positive cases within a 14 day span, it's an automatic eight day shutdown. So I had to let my players and coaches know on Thanksgiving morning that our season was over. And um, it, was, uh, it was one of the hardest things I've had to do as a head coach. It was, uh, it was gut wrenching. And, and, uh, you know, my heart, my heart broke for our seniors because, uh, you know, we tell our guys that when you win your last game at Saguaro, you usually carry the gold ball off the field and get sized up for rings. And, you know, they won their last game, but they didn't get to, uh, they didn't get to carry the trophy off the field. So it was, um, it was a different, different ending to the season, but um, they, they took it well. They, they, they handled it maturely and, and now we're just trying to move forward. Yeah, that's a, it's, it is a, it has been a crazy season. We'll see that on Twitter all the time where uh, coaches on like Thursday at three o'clock are tweeting out, Hey, you know, looking for an opponent this week, if anybody's available. And it's just crazy how, uh, you know, 24 hours notice they're trying to put a game on the schedule, which it sounds like you experienced some of that too. Now, the thing that caught, also caught my ear when you were kind of talking about that, three positive tests in 14 days, um, like if you look at it at the college level, you know, I, I remember University of Florida had like 25 positive tests over the course of a week, or even the Ravens just had, I want to say, you know, 15 positive tests over a stretch of like four consecutive days. What, now, I would think if you have three over 14 days, that's not necessarily an outbreak or guys spreading it on the team you could have guys you know going to a family event or you know going and doing something social and they're not spreading it amongst themselves do you get the sense 
your guys were spreading it uh, among players on the team or was it coming in different ways? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think it was, it was fairly contained. I mean, two, we had, we actually had two players and one coach that, you know, the, the coach, um, you know, his, his wife is an emergency room doctor, so he could have very easily got it, you know, because, uh, because she's out on the front lines, you know, fighting, fighting it. But, um, you know, the two players, they, they, uh, they sat by each other on the bus to the, the prior game. And so we felt pretty confident that that's where it came from, but, you know, um, we signed up to play under those protocols and those guidelines. And, um, you know, we, we, we did everything we could, you know, when we had the second positive case, it was a situation where we had to do some contact tracing and quarantining and we were going to have to quarantine, I think 18 other players um, for that playoff game, but still felt like we had all the tools we needed to be successful and to win the game. And, um, but ultimately when the third case came through, it's, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, if it's, you know, whether we agreed or not, that was the, uh, those were the, those were the guidelines that we signed up to play for. And so, you know, I, I felt like, you know, it would, it would have been out of, out of place um, to try to fight that or make a big stink or to get our parents up in arms because um, it, we, we knew what it was going into it and, and we did our best. We had all of our kids in online school um, the entire semester and we tried to do everything we could to avoid it. We, we obviously saw that it affected half of the schedule or the teams on our schedule. Um, and uh, ultimately it, it caught up to us before we were able to, you know, to get through the playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw something recently uh, state of Pennsylvania this year, I think they did not account for one instance in which the virus was spread during a game from one team to the other, you know, from a player on one team to a player on the other. So it was, you know, it almost seems like getting, getting these uh, organized environments and structured kind of bubble environments was almost safer. They just had the NBA come back. Um, and during the, you know, the, the bubble situation in Orlando was obviously a huge success for the NBA in terms of, uh, containing the virus and not having positive tests. Although, you know, the NBA players, I, you know, a lot of them struggled, you know, with some mental health issues in the bubble because they were, they weren't with their families and all that. So it's so difficult to figure out what, what structure to have in place, what rules to adhere by the debate all summer seemed to be, you know, should we come back and play this fall? Is it what's best for the kids? Uh, some states, as you know, you know, Arizona, one of them decided to play this fall. I think a total of 35 states decided to play. And, um, you know, I would think what your team, what happened to your team would almost be like a worst case scenario when you were envisioning what, what would happen if you did come back this fall as your season comes to an end uh, because of the virus. However, virus numbers are going up everywhere now. So I don't know that states like California or Washington that have uh, decided to kind of push it down the road to winter or spring seasons will have any better results. If you had it to do over again, what do you think the best court of a- course of action would have been? Yeah, I think we did everything we could. I- I'm glad that we played, you know, um, we only played six total games, but um, those six games were, were a lot better than, than zero, you right. know, and, and the States that, that didn't try to push and find a way to play in the fall. Um, you know, things are worse now than they were when we started playing in the fall. And so they might not get anything. And, right. uh, so it was what we signed up for, you know, trying to play uh, organized, uh, you know, contact football in the middle of, you know, uh, a, a pandemic. And um, and I think uh, I agree with you. I think our players were when they were with us, they were having their temperature checked every day. We were doing, um, you know, symptom tracing and, and contact tracing. And if a kid stayed home for any reason, if he wasn't at practice, um, his, you know, he was contacted. His parents were contacted. They weren't allowed to return to practice if they were symptomatic, unless they had a negative um, COVID test. So 
I mean, I really felt like um, it was the safer place to be. And they were able to, to socialize and be with their friends and get exercise and, you know, be outside. And, you know, I, I think it's, it, you know, and when you look at the numbers, obviously the risk is not necessarily on, on COVID affecting the kids because they, you know, the ones that we've had had it, they, you know, felt crappy for two days and they bounced right back. You know, I, we obviously understand the risk is them taking it out into the community and taking it home and taking it to the grandparents. So, um, you know, I, I know you can you can have a big argument of, of what's right and what's wrong. And um, we, we never felt like our kids were at risk, but we also knew that, you know, when you do get big groups together and, and you, you know, present the, the possibility for spread, that, that spread can go out into the community. So, um, you know, I'm a football coach. I'm not a doctor. I, I, I do know that, um, that our kids were appreciative even to have the opportunity that we had. And even though our season ended in such a uh, – heartbreaking way I, I don't think that any one of us players or coaches uh would have wished that we didn't play it was it was worth going through it just to just to have the small season that we did yeah I, I, I didn't finish my point on uh the NBA I ended up uh losing track of my thought there but what I meant to say about the NBA for as well as they contained it while they were in the bubble in the spring they just came back to start uh or at least start testing before they start kind of Getting back in gear, I think they're coming back around Christmas this year, but like of the 450 players in the NBA, I want to say 45 tested positive. So like 10% of the players, you know, because they went outside the bubble and they just live their lives like so it's definitely out there. There's no avoiding it unless you just do a bubble type situation like they did in the spring, which or or in the summer and and there's no way to do that with high school football. Now, do you have to, um, I you know, when the season ends like it did, I know you've experienced you know, several seasons where the season comes to a, a happy ending with the championship. Do you have to be even more present in your players' lives throughout the off season now when they when they've experienced that type of uh, devastation at the end of the season, or or how or do you think will you approach the off season any differently? Um, no, I, I think so. I think that's a great question, and and uh, yeah, you know, without really thinking of it in those terms, I think just naturally, I I, I felt like I needed to to try to be a little bit more present. I mean. You know, the thing that's different is, is, you know, usually I've got I've got football class the first period of the day every day. And so, you know, the season ends and then I've got them in class for another couple of weeks together and, and I can have exit interviews with players and, and, you know, do all that stuff. You know, this year with having all of our kids, they're still in, in online learning. Um, we didn't get to come back together on Monday and 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 be around each other and and uh, and kind of go through the, you know, the, the process of, uh, of, you know, putting the season to rest and going to the next one. So. You know, what I've done all week this week, and obviously last Thursday, Thanksgiving, is, is when I had to break the news. Um, you know, I sent a message to all my kids on Friday uh, through our huddle, and I sent them another one on Sunday. Um, I set up individual kind of like exit interviews with all of our seniors. I've been doing one-on-one Zoom meetings all week long with my senior class and, uh, and just kind of going through, um, you know, the season and where they're at, where they're at academically, from a recruiting standpoint, the guys that want to play football um next year at the next level and and uh and just trying to get on the same page with those guys so i've been doing that all week long and then actually right before we started this uh this call i had a team meeting with all my returning players and uh i've got the calendar for next season uh already dialed in with the dates and times and you know obviously i just said hey this is all this is all tentative uh, but we're gonna plan on on moving forward business as usual and and i have everything dialed up from our our winter lifting to our, um, you know, spring practices, to summer camp, to all that stuff. And so I wanted to get that to them so they feel hope and optimism and excitement and, and go, yeah, we got cut short and, and we didn't get to achieve the goal we wanted, but we've got a great group coming back and, and we got coaches that are, that are fired up and we got a plan and, and we're going to push forward. So 
Um, I do think I've made probably more of an emphasis. You know, usually I don't I don't hit them with the uh, the next year's calendar a week after the season ends. I usually give them a couple of weeks to decompress and and uh, take a break and mentally get away. But I think this year was important to uh, to give them that 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 hope and that optimism, that excitement for uh, for what next year is going to bring. So um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, you know, and that's what I think you know. Good head coaches have a really good pulse and feel of their team and. And you just want to make sure that if, if they need you, if they need to hear your voice, if they need to see you, if they need to see that you're excited, you gotta you got to make sure you make yourself available for them. Right. And I think you probably read that correctly. I mean, if it's a six-game season, they're probably not as fatigued or exhausted or just emotionally drained as they would be a season when they're playing, you know, 13, 14 games going deep into a playoff run. And um, also... Yeah, you know, there's there's so little right now for people to look forward to. They probably love seeing that schedule and say, all right, you know, here's something that's not, you know, at least canceled for now. You know, that's something to look forward to on the schedule. Um, one thing that is a kind of a hot topic in, in football, high school football right now, as you know, you hear a lot of cult- uh, coaches talk about culture. And I don't know if you necessarily call it, you know, culture building or anything like that. I think, you know, I've, I've heard coach Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, you know, say, I don't know what culture building is like, they'll kind of dismiss it. But um, I think successful programs and certainly yours where you've, you know, had six straight championships do have a culture that you establish and, and you make sure guys understand that these are the expectations of this program. This is what uh, we do with, within this program. So I want to go back to when you first started as a head coach. How much did you think about establishing a culture for your program, and uh, how did you go about doing it? Yeah, I, you know, I, it's a great question, and and uh, and I use the word culture too, but um, I, I agree with you. I, our culture is not something that I did. You know, I didn't I didn't get it from a book. Um, you know, I didn't buy a I didn't buy a program to uh, you know to walk us through step by step on how to build a culture. I think. For me, going all the way back to my first year as a head coach, or really going back to when I was, uh, you know, coaching coaching Pop Warner youth football and things like that, the the things that allowed me to be successful as a coach, and I think what the culture is built around is relationship building and um, and really um, forming genuine, strong um, relationships with you know your players and your coaches and the people that are important to your program, um, and and I and then and then once you have those those strong relationships, you know, it makes it a lot easier to, to put your plan in place and say, okay, we're going to build this program where it's going to be, it's, you know, it's going to be based on hard work. You know, we're going to, we're going to love each other up. We're going to get to know you. We're going to treat you with respect. Um, and, and then we're going to push you and we're going to work hard and we're going to hold you accountable. And, and I think that's it. I think those, that's probably if you, at the very, very ba- most basic level of our, of our culture, it's, we're going to build really strong, meaningful relationships that are genuine. It's, it's not fake. It's real. And then, uh, and then once we have those relationships and, and you know what we're all about, then we're going to push you and we're going to work hard. We're, we're going to grind. We're, you know, we're going to have a, a plan year round um, that's, that's tailored towards, you know, building up to making a run and trying to win state championships. And, and that's kind of what it's been. I think that's where we've had success. And, um, you know, I think as a head coach, it's not just all about me either. It's not just about me building relationships. It's about our assistant coaches and, and, you know, having good relationships amongst the coaching staff, but then also, you know, assistant coaches that are able to build those relationships with the players in their position group. And, and you know, I want those guys to be the mentors and be, you know, I, I tell somebody before, I want my, my position coach to be their position player's favorite coach on the, on the team. You know, I, I, the head coach shouldn't be everybody's favorite coach. You know, 
you want to have a, you want to have a staff full of guys that really connect with their players and and build that trust and build those bonds. And I think that's what we've really had a lot of success with. It's why we've been able to to have continuity in our coaching staff, been able to keep the guys together um, for the better part of the last decade. And and uh, I think the success has gone along with that because you got guys that that care about each other, love each other. That you know, these kids keep graduating every every year. We keep losing really good players and. And we keep, you know, coming back and and uh, and give ourselves a chance to win again. And I think it's because that, you know, those bonds are are deep, and we all work well together. We all we all respect each other and trust each other, and, and the kids buy into that. And they, in turn, it, you know, they have that same respect for each other, each other, and have each other's back. And I think that's how you sustain success. Now, I wonder if if you if there's a coach that comes into your program, you hire a coach, and he's not as high on X's and O's, you know, he doesn't know his X's and O's like maybe some other position coaches or certainly coordinators. And you can say to him, Hey, I want you to study more film. I want you to uh, write up a couple of uh, suggestions for plays or even diagram a few plays for me. I want you to to explain this scheme to me or even watch the last game uh, or an opposing team's uh, tape and say, Hey, this is what they're running here. This is what the formation the defense is in. So there are ways to improve in X's and O's. I wonder what you would do if you have a coach on your staff who is struggling to establish relationships. Are there, uh, you know, like um, team building exercises that you would recommend to that coach or ways in which uh, a coach can grow in that respect? Or is it something they either have or they don't? Yeah, I think I think number one that's one of the big things that we look for when, when we do bring new guys on is guys that, that have dynamic personalities that are doing it for the right reasons. They're not coming in and pounding their chest about, you know, their resume and how many games they've won, but, but more so, you know, the guys that are, that, that want to coach because they, they care about kids and they love to compete. And, you know, so I think number one, it's trying to identify the right guys that fit that mold of what we're looking for. Um, And then number two, I think it's creating situations to build, um, those relationships and, and let people know what you're all about and how you do things. I mean, we do a, we do a, an annual coaches trip every year. I take, you know, this year we got, we got canceled. We were supposed to go out to Oregon and, and spend a couple of days at university of Oregon and, and a couple of days at Oregon state. But um, the year before we took 12 guys to, to Austin, Texas, and we visited uh, UT and A&M and we went and spent uh, a day with Todd Dodge over at Austin Westlake and, you know, we, we stayed in a, in a vacation rental house and guys were sleeping on the floor and we ate dinner together every night. So, you know, we, I think that's how you, you bring new guys in and you let them see, Oh man, these guys are close. They love each other. They have fun. You know, we talk ball and we have position meetings and so you let them kind of see what the, what the vibe is. And then, you know, we take our kids to an out of state camp every year. We go spend five days in, in California and we stay in the dorms at Kowloon and, you know, we do a senior bonfire and, and, uh, you know, the kids go around and talk about what they want their senior year to be and what their plans are for the future. And, you know, the coaches are able to get away, you know, one of the days when the kids go to Six Flags and the coaches go and kind of have a coach's social and spend some time together. So I think you just try to create situations where um, you, you build those relationships, you, you get to know each other, you, you let these guys get a feel for what the vibe is of the team. And then, and then the good ones, they'll pick up on it and they'll understand, okay, this is how we do things. When it's time to work, we work really hard and we take this real serious. And then we can also get away. We can we can have fun. We can be loose. We respect each other. And and uh, and so the guys, you know, the, the ones that have stayed on and had success and been a part of this for a long time are the guys that that have picked up on it quickly and, and adapted and adjusted and fit in. And and we've had some guys that have you know been here for a year or two and then we've moved on because they just never quite quite bought in or, or figured out how to fit in with the way we do things. And so 
you know, I think as a head coach too, you, you know, obviously you want to, you want to bring people along and give people a chance to develop. And, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head. We, we can develop X's and O's. It's sometimes it's hard to develop, you know, the genuine character and, and uh, you know, guys that, that are really doing it for the right reason. So we try to, we try to identify that quickly. Right. Yeah. And I know you've got a, a class to teach, but I just wanted to ask you about your experience um, with USA football and the U S national. I, I think you coached the U S national team, the U 16 at the U 16 level. Do I have that right? Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. I last, uh, last year I was the head coach for the, uh, for the U 19 national team. And, and I uh, had also been the head coach for the U 16 national team a couple of years before that. Oh, okay. Now, so that, th- that's a little bit different because it's, um, it's not a, it's not like a program where you're going to have the same guys and be able to establish those relationships. How is that different when you're trying to kind of get everybody to come together and develop some team chemistry, but it's more of a, kind of a temporary or short-term type uh, team that you're putting together. Yeah, you know, I, I do still think if you just come in and you just go, oh, this is a one-week thing and this doesn't matter and we're just going to, you know, have practice and leave, it'll be, a, it'll be a disastrous week. So you still have to try to find a way to get kids to buy into what the, uh, you know, objective is and, and what the goal is. And, uh, and so it's just a matter of connecting. You know, when I did the U16 team, Number one, I had a phenomenal coaching staff of, of some of the top high school coaches from around the country, guys that were big name guys from big name programs. And so you got all these kids that are that are freshmen in high school and, and you go around the table and you talk about, hey, here's the guys that are coaching you this week. And this guy played in the NFL and this guy's, you know, the head coach out in Utah at, at a top 25 national school. And this guy's coaching in Pennsylvania and, he, you know, he's his quarterbacks playing for the, you know, uh, you know, Boston College. And, and, and those young guys are like, oh, man, this this coaching staff is they're top notch. And these are these are guys that, you know, I, I want to connect with and learn from. And so, you know, I think that that that's what really worked with the U16 group is just saying, hey, you know, we have some stuff that we want to share with you. We're excited for the week. We're excited to be here. It's an honor. We're representing our country, which I think, gosh, anybody in that room, coach or player, if you don't get excited to play and, and do the right thing, you know, because you're representing your country, you probably shouldn't be there to begin with. So um, but but then you go, hey, look, these guys that are here coaching you, they've, they've, you know, they've been around some great players and, and, and won games at a high level. And I, and God, we had such a great experience with that under 16 team, those kids. And it was a super talented group. We had, we had several future four and five-star kids in that group, guys that are, that are doing big time things now at the college level. But, um, and then the U19 team's a little bit different, you know, those guys, you know, there's three-star and four-star players there and guys that have been there done that. And, and I think you just have to connect with them on a different level, which is like, Hey guys, this is a great opportunity we're not going to overwork yet. We're going to be efficient. We're going to be smart. We want to have fun, but we want to win. And, and, uh, and, and just, you know, making sure that you really communicate again, what's the objective, what's the plan, how we're going to do it. Um, you know, with the under 19, with the older kids that, that are all, you know, for the most part, we're already committed to major power five schools. You want to make sure you're not wasting their time. They don't want to hear you stand up there and talk because you're not going to be their coach next week. Um, so you got to have some fun. You got to connect. You got to bring a good staff together of guys that, uh, that can, that can click with those guys guys that they're going to respect. So again, I think that was a big thing for me when I put that staff together for the U19 team is, is finding some guys whose resumes were going to garner some respect from the kids. Because uh, if you bring in guys that haven't really coached at a high level, haven't had that success, you know, sometimes those older kids will tune you out real quick. So, but both times we've done it, we've had a phenomenal experience. Um, teams performed extremely well. They represented their countries in class and uh, we came away with some guy. I mean, I, I know myself and, and some of the coaches on that team, um, still remain in contact with players um, all the way back to that 26, uh, the, the U16 team, uh, which was, gosh, like four years ago. Um, it, it's just a phenomenal experience. Love love everything about the International Bowl and, and what USA football does and the experience they give to the players and coaches. It's, uh, 
you know, I've been lucky enough to be a head coach twice, but it really is a once in a lifetime type of type of opportunity. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Well, I just heard your alarm go off, so I know you have a class to teach. I will let you get going, but thanks so much for taking the time. It's been great uh, talking to you. You've had so much success with your program. Sorry to hear the way the season ended this year, but hopefully everything will be back to normal for you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. It was nice talking with you, and, and uh, yeah, I wish, I wish I didn't have to run. We got, they got us going. Uh, you know, we teach in-person classes in the morning, and then we teach uh, online classes in the afternoon, and so the schedule's chaotic and trying to and trying to run practice and coach football and handle recruiting, but, you know, that's all uh, – that's the stuff that we sign up for as a head coach, and uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to help coaches learn about, you know, culture building and, and uh, look forward to listening. Right on. Well, thanks so much for being here. Uh, the FNF Coaches podcast uh, is available on fnfcoaches.com. Visit the website to check out daily features, videos, and digital publications. You can subscribe to the magazine, which is includes six editions per year for $19.95, and you can do that at the website at fnfcoaches.com. Subscribe to the FNF Coaches podcast on your preferred platform, either Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play. Thanks to Coach Mons for joining the podcast and talking with us about building a positive culture. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Mons. That's Coach M-O-H-N-S. Thanks again for listening. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.